hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin West. To order or download additional resources, please visit kevinwest.org. Genesis 37.1. Here we go. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended to his father's flock. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bia and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his others, other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say any kind, of word, any kind of word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to the dream, he said. We were out in the field lying, uh, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over all of us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams, the way he talked about the dreams. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told his dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? While Joseph, while, but while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what really what the dream meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture, their father's flock, at Shechem. When they had been there, gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep in Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm, he said, I'm ready to go. Go and see how your brothers are, and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob had sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem, from their home in the Valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the, court, the countryside. Who are you looking for and what are you looking for, he said. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. He said, do you have any idea where they would be? They were pasturing their sheep. Yes, the man said. I've moved, uh, they moved on from here. They were here for a while, but they moved on. Now they're into Gothan. They went to Gothan. Joseph followed his brothers to Gothan, and there he found them. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, here we go, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of their cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when the Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. He said, let's not kill him. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and then return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off his beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. It was a well that was empty. There was no, it was dried. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelites, traders, taking a load of, of, of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover him up. We'll have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's just sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. 
his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites came, who were the Midianites traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. I know this is a lot of scripture, but it's important. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern when he rediscovered, when he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone, what will we do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in the blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message, look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately and said, yes, it's my my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him and Joseph had clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob Jacob tore his clothes, dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. Let's just stop there. I've come to realize something that the, the older, the more mature I get, rather than the older, the more mature. The more mature I get, the older I get, the more I realize something. Favor on a person's life can't be measured in only the successes that we see. His dad made him a coat. His dad loved him. He was the favored son. His brothers even knew it. But Joseph has this coat that he's wearing that represents this favor, but just because you're favored doesn't mean every aspect of your life, every detail of your life, every action of your life, every moment of your life, every season of your life is gonna reflect what our definition of favor would be. I've come to realize that favor and famine look alike. They do. I've never seen anybody get highly favored and experience high favor in their life without going through some dry, dead times, hard times, pressure times, times where you didn't know if you could go right or you could go left. You didn't know if you were up or you were down, or you were on the bottom or you're on the top. You, know, you hear all the scriptures and you come to church and you hear people preach good messages and say you're the head and not the tail, but you're highly favored of God and you're the one and you're the only you're the, and your life has fallen apart. And it's hard to recognize you're favored if you're only measuring favor by your current status. When God marks a person's life, and I gotta tell you, you've been marked, whether you know it or not. God God marks a person's life. The journey that he takes you on on that life has its ups and has its downs. There'll be time that you think everything is perfect and you're starting to realize that favor, and that's good, you should do it, and it will happen in, in, in in a course of time. But what I've come to realize, the older I get, You can measure or mark the favor on your life when you sense that you're going through a time of famine in a dry place. How do you know that? Because famine doesn't last always. Dry times don't last always. Setbacks don't last always. What I'm kind of learning is when you go through a time of famine, a time of pressure, a time of life when things are going a little dry place, it actually is a repositioning of what God really wants you to be and where he wants you to be in life. It's a repositioning, a re- redirection, a reevaluating, losing some things, gaining some others. Purging and pruning of some things, picking up some others. Movement, sometimes because we're hard headed as people, we're thick skinned and we're thin skinned all at the same time. We carry a big stick, but yet we don't like to get hit. You might know what I'm talking about. We like to say, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. And when God says, okay, I'm gonna bless you it sometimes falls apart before it gets better. Sometimes it pushes you back before you even get forward. 
And when you're in those moments, you're going, God, I, don't, I really wish you would do something different. So what we do is we prescribe to God, God, we know what favor looks like. Favor is really something that really is stamped on your life and it feels good and you just soar and through life with no problems and no headaches and things are just evident that things are good in your life. If that's your definition of favor, you don't know God as well as you need to know God. Because God will take you through some places in life that'll redirect your steps and put you in a place where he can show you how powerful he really is, what he wants to do in your life, and the things you try to hold on to deeper and harder and tighter are the things he begins to pull apart. If you're not in a position and haven't been in a position where you question God, you don't know what favor really is. You should live life. You should have experienced something in life where you're going, God, is that you, is that me, or is that the devil? And sometimes you can't tell the difference. You lose your job, you get fired. Get behind me, Satan. The devil is a liar, right? And God all along saying, if I didn't allow that to happen, you'd have stayed there the rest of your life and rotted. And I never had that for you to just rot there. I have something for you to be promoted, but you can't be promoted from that place, so I have to move you to another place to get you to the place I really want you to go. Sometimes it takes three or four moves to get you to the place because we'll hold on to the place we are. Sometimes we get attached to things. We get attached to success. We get attached to positions and influence, and we got people, here we are, we're going, yes, I love this, I love this, I love this, but the Lord will put a little nudge in your heart, and you'll begin to go, there's more than what I'm experiencing right now. But as soon as that begins to happen and God begins to move your life and he begins to adjust your life and take you to a place of promotion, it looks like a demotion sometimes first. Sometimes it looks like you're getting set back, held back, thrown back, talked about. You don't see an end in sight. But it's in those moments where God begins to do a work in your life that's bigger than you could ever do. God can't work sometimes in success. Sometimes God has to work in transition. Because when we're in success, we don't listen as clearly. Right? Because when it's all going well, we're telling God how it's going. And then you become the expert and God becomes the student. Right? But when you have no other choice to follow after where he's at, what are you doing? What are you, where are you taking me, Lord? What are you, what are you, what are you doing? And, and, and as you begin to move through and navigate through life like Joseph did, you begin to start seeing some things happen. Many of us, probably all of us, can relate our life to Joseph in some form or fashion. Joseph was 17 years old, a young, aggressive, but immature. And immaturity and aggressive combination is a dangerous thing. I've been there. I was even older than 17 and immature and aggressive. That's dangerous, right? Because you think you know everything. Joseph gets a dream. So he goes and tells the people that should be celebrating with him, I got a dream. I wanna change the world. You know, I, had a, I got a dream, guys, that you guys are gonna be bowing down here before me. Well, that's not necessarily a dream you wanna tell people that are already jealous of you. They already know that your dad's favorite. You wear a coat rubbing it in our face, right? And now you're gonna tell us what it looks like and you're, gonna, you're just reaffirming to us what we already know, we're less than you anyway, right? 
And then he's surprised that they're turning against him. Now watch what happens here. What, what Joseph had to come to realize, Joseph's dad was named Jacob. Jacob had a, a father named Ishmael, or had a father named Isaac. Isaac had a father named Abraham. You all know the story very well. Abraham was supposed to have a son where the promise was gonna come forward. But Abraham takes matters into his own hands. Abraham and his wife Sarah get together. Sarah was, her, she was barren, she couldn't have a baby. So Sarah comes back and says, I got an idea. We're gonna bring Hagar, she's a handmaiden, she's out here. We're gonna bring her in and you're just gonna have a baby with her and that's, that's surely that's how the promise is gonna come. So Abraham comes out, has a baby with Hagar. They call that baby Ishmael and Ishmael becomes the baby. God comes back to them and says, why in the world did you put matters and take matters into your own hands? I gave you a promise, but you weren't willing to wait on the promise to happen. Why is it when I tell you something's gonna happen, why is it that you feel like you have to be responsible to see it come to pass? Why can't you trust me in the process even when you don't see it working the way you think it should work? I don't work on your time frame, you work on mine. Right? But if you wanna get ahead of me, you'll get ahead of me. If you wanna stay behind, get home. But I'm always on time because time is in me, I'm not in time. So why don't you be patient and listen and trust me, but Abraham didn't do it. He goes ahead and has a child, and a child named Ishmael. So God says, now you got a problem. You have a child born named Ishmael out of Hagar when the promise was supposed to come out of Sarah. So they have to go back to the drawing board. And you know what I'm talking about. Gotta figure this out. Sarah's up in age. God opens up her womb, she has a baby, and now that baby comes forward named Isaac. So here's what you have. You got Ishmael, which is the older brother, but it's not from, from, from Sarah. And you have another baby, that's Isaac. So it's Abraham, Isaac. Isaac comes, grows up and has children named Jacob. So Jacob has sons, one of them named Joseph. Joseph's grandfather, follow me now, Joseph's grandfather is Isaac. Isaac's brother is Ishmael. Ishmael looks like a mistake because Abraham took it in and put it in his own hands, right? The problem is, now you've got another two generations down the road. J Joseph tells his brothers the second dream. The second dream comes along and it's the same thing. Now he's got his dad wondering, what in the world are you talking about? that me, your mom, and the brothers are gonna all bow before you. So he sends his brothers out to tend to the sheep in Shechem and the flock. They were gone a long time. Comes back to Joseph and he says, your brothers have been gone a long time. Why don't you go check on them for me? Joseph goes down, I just read it, goes down to the story, goes down to the Shechem, couldn't find him in Shechem. A guy looks at tells him they're over in, in, in Gothen. So he goes over to Dothan, and as he goes into Dothan, he finds his brothers, there they are, and they go, we're going to kill him. They hated him so much. Now when they begin to say they're gonna kill him, they realize they wanted that, that coat. So they pull the coat off of him. One brother named Reuben, the older brother, says we're not gonna do that, we're gonna throw him in a cistern, throw him in a cistern, but here's the beautiful part of this story. As they throw him in the cistern, here comes the Ishmaelites. You recognize the name? The Ishmaelites were his grandfather, Isaac's half-brother. That was a mistake. He's, now these Ishmaelites, two generations later, the promises generation is Joseph. The Ishmaelite generation are the traitors that are coming to buy Joseph, but Joseph doesn't know it. 
So the mistake was coming all the way to Dothan. And if there hadn't have been Ishmaelites, the mistake of his grandfather's brother, there would have been nobody to take him from Dothan all the way up to Egypt. Are you tracking with me? This is important. Because God, it looks like a mistake if you read it. Abraham, why in the world did you make a mistake and screw up and mess up and now you've got Ishmael? And God says, it looks like a mistake to you. But I'm working a bigger plan. I'm working a plan that you couldn't even comprehend if you wanted to try to comprehend it. I'm working something so big that I can only give it to you in doses. So here comes the Ishmaelites. The brothers sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites in four, five, six, seven, seven chapters earlier were the people that were the mistakes. It was his grandfather's mistake. His great-grandfather's mistake turned out to be the very vehicle that God used to get him to the right position. God will take your, your mess-ups, your mistakes, your, your, your screw-ups, your, 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 your humanity, you're trying to help him along, he'll take that, turn it around for your good, and you might not see it for 10, 15 years. You might not see it for 20 years. You may not see it in your lifetime. But I promise you, God will redeem even your stupidity in situations. He'll redeem it. The world will want you to think that, well, you made your own bed, now you lay in it. I'm gonna tell you what God says, get up out of that bed and go. You can lay there and waller in it all you want to and feel sorry for yourself and get into self-pity. Get up off yourself, get up out of that bed and go do something. Why? Because as you move forward, I will begin to redeem the things that look like mistakes to everybody else. I'm working a plan that's bigger than your ways. I'm working ideas bigger than your ways. I'm not just talking about you. I'm trying to re regenerate an entire generation of people. Joseph was taken at that point up to, to Egypt, sold in slavery. Now here's the same favor that was on his life with the coat and his dad. He now finds that same favor up in Egypt because now they're looking at him and they're going, Joseph was a good man. He worked hard. They brought Joseph. He got promoted. They put him in prison. He gets, they promote him. He gets in jail. They promote him. He starts running the jail. Somebody lies on him. He gets thrown back down in the dungeon. Guess what? Now there's a dream. Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph gets summoned again. Now here's the guy, over 18 years of his life, from 17 years to about mid-30s, this guy was up and down. People showed him favor, threw him in a dungeon. Showed him favor, put him in prison. Showed him favor, false allegations. Showed him favor, sold. Showed him favor, said you're gonna kill him. Showed him favor, favor doesn't always look like, just always like we think it should look. If you have any setbacks in your life, if you have moments in your life where you're going, oh my God, how did I get here? How did this happen? What did I do wrong? Rather than feel condemned, ashamed, or guilty, why don't you say, okay, God, now I'm here. Now reposition me that the favor I know that's on my life can surely manifest, can surely flourish and surely blossom, that the world be able to see it. Because God had a plan to take Joseph all the way up to Egypt because God was going to set something up. Joseph became such a second in command. Joseph became the CFO of the entire nation. He was over the entire GDP. He was over the entire government. There was a dream that he had, and the dream said, 
there's gonna be seven years, the dream that Pharaoh had, he interpreted it, it said, there's gonna be seven years of flourishing prosperity, seven years of famine. Joseph knew famine. Joseph knew famine. He knew when things weren't good. But he also knew, I've got enough experience with God that even when things don't look good, they can't stay bad. They've got to turn for my good. So he was low. He was down. And then he was up. Then he was down. And then he was up. And finally, God put him in a position with Pharaoh. Pharaoh set him up entire, over the entire budget and surplus of Egypt. And the dream was this. There's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of, that follows with famine. Joseph, what do we do? Joseph says, here's what we do. We're gonna save 20% of all of our stuff. And that 20% is gonna go over here. And we're gonna prepare for seven years of famine. Why was that so real to Joseph? Because Joseph knows what it's like to be thrown in a cistern and left to die. He also knows what it's like to be sold to the Ishmaelites and transported to Egypt, even though it looks like it's bad. He knows it has to turn good. He knows what it's like to get thrown in prison in the dungeon and then bounce back up on top. You can't keep a good man down. Favor, he knew he was favored because of his father. And can you imagine his mindset when things were not good? I, be, I believe he would lay there and go in the, in, in the prison at night or the dungeon at night and thinking, how did I get here? I thought I had that color, that, that, that coat of many colors. How, how did I get here? Sometimes when you're laying square on your back and things aren't going like you hoped they would, you've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. You've got to remind yourself of really who he is and who you are. When things are falling apart, when you can't make ends meet, when your body's not wanting to cooperate, when she's not wanting to cooperate, when he doesn't want to cooperate, when they don't want to cooperate, and nothing's working for you, and you're wondering how it's all going to turn out, and you can't get a yes over here, all you get is a no, and a maybe, and a no, and then a more of a no. It ain't working the way you think it should work. You've got to sit back and you go, oh God, what do I do? What do I do? You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself that he made you a coat of many colors too. Sometimes you gotta remind yourself if I've been down before, I don't stay down. Sometimes you gotta encourage yourself. It might be your fifth or sixth or seventh time down, but you can't make it your seventh time down be your last. You gotta know I'm coming up. I'm not ending this way. I'm not finishing the way this looks. I'm not stopping the way this looks because God, you did it for me when I didn't know how to do it for me myself. You brought me and transported me through life, through journeys of life that I didn't know how to get where I was supposed to go. You did all of that. When I couldn't figure it out for myself, you figured it out. You laid out a map. There's no way, no way. When Abraham and Sarah were having the discussion about having a baby, and she looks at Hagar and says, I know what we're gonna do. Hagar, come over here, because in, in two generations, we're gonna, there's gonna be a famine in the land, and we're gonna need to have somebody in position in a sister to be sold by your descendants, there's no way you can predict those things. No way you can predict. You don't know. That's why you can't look at your life and go, I wish I wasn't born out of this family. You weren't a mistake. I don't care if you were born out of wedlock. I don't care if you had one out of wedlock. I don't care if you divorced. I don't care if you went through the bad situation. I don't care if all of that stuff, because somehow God works all things together for good. He knows how to weave it all together and tie up the loose ends. I know how he thinks. I know what he does. He looks at you and he says, I have favor on your life. I cannot undo the favor. But if you think the favor on your life 
is only to be experienced with such a sweet-smelling fragrance in every occurrence. No, sometimes the fragrance gets really sweet when you're down, when things aren't going well. He's looking for somebody that'll trust him when their back's against the wall. It's easy to trust him on the mountain when you've got the victory. But how do you feel when you're down here going, oh God, I don't see a way out. When you don't see a way out, you have to trust he is your way out. Not only is he your way out, he's your way in. And he will never leave you or forsake you. He will take you into those places. That's why when you're able to look at your kids and you're, maybe you made some mistakes in your life and you're going, God, I wish I hadn't made that mistake. I, haven't, I wish I hadn't done that. And you look at your spouse and you're going, God, if I could, how many in here would like to have some redos or some do-overs? Well, you know what? You don't get a do-over or redo. But you do get a redemption. Right? Because he'll take the mess, he'll take the discouragement, he'll take the bad, and he turns it somehow for good. And you're, when you're thinking, I'll never find joy again, joy just comes in the morning. When you feel like I'll never find happiness again, can I ever trust? Again? Yes, you can trust. But don't you put your trust in an unfaithful man. Because it's like an aching tooth or a foot out of joint. Proverbs. Your trust is in him. Had a couple come in my office one time, and he, she couldn't trust him, and he had, he had had multiple affairs, and it was just a bad situation, and she said, I can't trust him anymore. And, and he's going, I'm doing really good. I'm doing really well. I mean, he, he said, it's been several years now, and she still just can't trust me. She can't, she's, got, she's got this wall up, and I said, well, you can't, you can't blame her. I mean, look at your track record here. I mean, your, your resume's not real promising. He said, I'm a different man, I got saved, I got converted. And she looked at me and she said, well, he might have, but my mind still wonders. So she had him under this real control. So he had, like, their, he had to report to her. Like, if he got up, at, if he was at a certain place, he had to call and check in, and she had to approve his check-in, and then he had to bring her the receipts from the ATM machine, and had, I mean, not, not for just the money amount, for the date of the, 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 on the, the time stamp on the ATM machine. Then she would compare it over here, and then she would compare it against her bank statement to make sure that he wasn't lying, that he wasn't really taking somebody else's ATM machine. You, you tracking with what I'm saying? She was living a paranoid life. All because she was afraid that he was gonna cheat again. And I looked at her, we sit in my office, not here, it was before here. We sit in my office and I said, he's gonna do it again. I'm telling you, as sure as I'm sitting here, he's going to do it again. He stood up. He's ready to fight me. He said, I'm telling you, I'll never do it again. I said, you can't make that promise. You're not that strong. You're not that good. He said, I know what I'm capable of. I said, so do I. You got a resume. And she's looking at him. She started defending him a little bit. She said, well, he's been good for three years. And I said, show me the ATM receipts. I want to see him. She said, seriously? I said, no, I don't want to see your ATM receipts. I just know the fact that you're having to get them means you don't really believe what you just said. I mean, he's, he's proven himself and proven himself, proven himself. I said, the problem is, he's going to do it again. She said, how can you say that? How can you, he said, how can you say that? I said, because when you're under that kind of pressure to perform, it drives you to do the very thing you're trying not to do. I'm gonna tell you this, this is what I told him. <laughs> that probably won't go well on YouTube, but it's gonna go anyway. I said, how many affairs have you had? He said, three. I said, okay, you're still sitting here, right? Yeah, I said, I would encourage you 
to stay open for the fourth. I would just encourage you to do that. And she said, she said, she said, you're, she said we came for pastoral counseling. I said, you're getting it. She says, you're mean to tell me that you're going to encourage him to have an affair? I said, oh no, I'm not having to encourage him to have an affair. I just said, encourage him to be open to it. I said, there's a difference. And she said, how can you give that kind of counsel? She said, I need to talk to somebody that's above, <laughs> she said, above you. I said, well, there's only one in this church, it's God because I'm the pastor, all right? We got a board, we got all that, but I'm just gonna tell you, they're all gonna tell you the same thing. She said, what? I said, you're driving him to have an affair. She said, I, don't, I, just don't, I just don't see it. I said, you've got so much control on him that he's proven himself to, to, and he's running from it. He's not free. He is not free to, 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 from wanting to do it. He's free to try to prove himself that he's not gonna do it. I said, I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna drive him to it. And you're gonna run, I, I promise you, I've seen it too many times. He said, what do I do? I said, quit putting your trust in you. And you quit putting your trust in his reporting scheme. Put your trust in God. He's the only one that's faithful. Can you trust God that God won't let him cheat on you? Can you trust God that he won't let you cheat on her? And if you have more confidence in your ability and your confidence in your reporting, you're both missing the boat. You have to have trust that he is going to direct your steps. And I said, you ought to have, I told him, I said, you, ought to, you got a pretty good track record here. I said, after three and she's still here? I said, that's why I said be open because I promise you, if you go out and do it again, she's probably gonna be right here trying to find another solution, putting more controls in place. And he said, man, he's dropped. He said, I don't wanna live like this anymore. I don't wanna live like this anymore. I said, then change it all. I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a disillusion of your marriage right now, and I'm gonna remarry you right on the spot. And they said, how do we do that? I said, I'm gonna do it. I said, I decree your marriage dissolved as you've known it. Will you take this woman to be your wife? To have and to hold, and I went through the entire ceremony from my head back and forth. Tears start falling down their face. The presence of the Lord filled that room. I took her ATM things that she had already pulled out. I took them up there and I put them in a shredder. I shredded them. I said, he don't have to report to you anything else. The reporting is over. She looked at him. She said, you don't have to report to me. He goes, I want nobody else. I said, then you're gonna put a, an accountability together. Can you handle the fact, told her, can you handle the fact if he has tempted, can he tell you he's tempted? Or do you have to wait till after he's already fallen and then bring him through the rebound? She said, I don't know that I'm strong enough to handle the temptation. I said, yes, you are, because your confidence is in him. About three months would go by, and sure enough, he had an opportunity. A woman was kind of, you know, flirtatious, and he calls me on the phone. He goes, I don't know what to do. He said, I'm not acting on this. I said, call your wife and tell her this woman's flirtatious. He said, are you out of your mind? I said, yes, I am. And don't you forget it. I said, call her and tell her. He said, if I call her and tell her, she's gonna go berserk. No, because if it really happened in that office that day, her confidence is in him. And this will be a building of trust, not paranoia and suspicion. So he picks up the phone and he calls her. He calls me back and about 15 minutes later. He says, you're not gonna believe it. He said, 
that pulled her in closer to me. Now she's trusting me that I can, because she can trust you with the inner parts of your thinking. That's how you build it, that transparency, that intimacy, that's how it's built. That's how he builds it with you. That's why Joseph was able to look at the story and say, God, even though I'm in the cistern, I know I got a coat. Even though my circumstances don't line up, I got a coat. I know I had a dream, and I know the dream means I have to be a king somewhere, I gotta be up somewhere, I can't end on a low place. Even though I'm being transported to Egypt from the Ishmaelites, I had no idea that my great-grandfather's half-brother was gonna have descendants that were gonna, in a mess up, in a, me a huge mess up, transport me to a place where I'm gonna be able to help people. Joseph said, and I've got wisdom that God has imparted into my life through those circumstances of life. Every one of you through your losses and your wins, your ups and your downs, are inbuilt, inbuilt inside of you are wisdom points, knowledge, graces, mercies, understandings inside of you that you couldn't have got any other way. You don't always get that on top. Sometimes you get those on the downs and the outs. And they build something inside of you that you don't even know you're getting. And sometimes God puts you in a place, almost like a coma, as he did Adam in the garden. And he put him in a deep sleep. And as he was in a deep sleep, God reached in Adam, pulled something out of Adam that Adam didn't even know was in there. And God replaced it with something that he could see and use as a helpmate. While you're in those places of deep moments of, oh God, I can't take much more. God is reaching inside of you, bringing things out of you that you don't even know are there. And he brings it out because he's gonna use them in a season to be determined that you have not yet seen or come to yet. So Joseph comes and he says, we're gonna save back 20% of everything. Seven years were powerful. Seven years of plenty, prosperity. But then following that seven years, sure enough, seven years of famine come. All of a sudden, back down here in, in Shechem, back down here in Canaan, was Jacob, the dad, that thought he lost his, brother, his son and the brothers. And now there's famine everywhere. There's no wheat growing. There's no corn. All they've got is some money. And the dad says, I heard that up in Egypt, they've got plenty. So take a little bit of this money and go up and buy us some food. And here go the brothers, all the way to Egypt. They walk in Egypt and here's this Man, is it, uh, looks like an Egyptian now. He's talking like an Egyptian. He's been, he walked like an Egyptian. You know that song? He, he did all that. He had it all around, right? Here he was. And the brothers didn't know who he was, but he knew them. So they come in to buy food. Now, I don't have time to go into the whole story, the rest of the story, but I will tell you this. As he came in, and God put Joseph in that position of leadership after so many ups and downs. First, he would have never gotten there unless his great-granddaddy had made a mistake. His great-granddaddy made the mistake with that woman, Hagar. And when she did, she had a boy named Ishmael, and Ishmael's descendants transported Joseph all the way up to Egypt. So now Joseph's in a position. He went to the, the cistern first. And he couldn't have gone to Egypt unless he had gone through the system. Once he got to the cistern, they take him to Egypt, and now he's here. Then he went to the jail, <clears throat> went to the dungeon, he went to prison. He was up and he was down. All the while, God's building stuff inside of him. So here he is, in a position of authority. And he looks at his brothers, instead of being upset, angry, going, y'all threw me down. 
I heard you, you were gonna kill me. Thank God for Reuben. Reuben, you're the only one getting weak today. Rest of you, you out of here. No, he looked at him with compassion and he thought, my brother. Joseph looked at him over a course of discussions and meetings, he looked at him and he said, you all meant for evil. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned for good. And then he looks at his brothers and he says, go tell dad, it's me, I'm alive. The brothers go back, transport, gather up everything that's in that area of Canaan. Jacob's there, they come back and they say, dad, your son we thought that was dead, the one you favored, is now alive. He's over Pharaoh's entire government. When the Bible says when Jacob, those words were told to Jacob, his heart revived within him. He had been mourning for all those years that his son was, now, was dead and now just heard he was alive. Transported entire, 70 people transported in all of his livestock, his cattle, all of his substance, everything, tra- transported and traveled all the way to Egypt. They traveled the same road that Joseph had traveled over about 20 years earlier. The only difference was Joseph had favor. And Joseph's favor went through the cistern, the wagon train, the dungeon, the prison, the beatings, the lies, setbacks, false accusations, the discouragement, the disappointment of years of all those things. He got that, and then why Joseph got to that place, he looks and he says, I don't want you all to go through the same route I went through. You all don't need to go through cisterns or wagon trains or ups and downs. Just come on up here. Favor on your life comes and is expressed, developed, matured as character is built inside of you in your downs as well as your ups. When you got your back against the wall and everybody's turned on you, are you full of hate and bitterness and anger? They're talking about you, saying things they shouldn't be saying? Wrong. Do you feel like you have to get even? Set them right? I'm gonna set this place in order. I'm gonna tell them. I'm gonna set the record straight. Is it your record or is it his record? You lost some stuff in the last season. We all did. In that last season, in that loss, that hurt, that disappointment, we built some character. So in this next season that we've already entered into is a season of prosperity, promise. You're on your way up. But you don't know what I've done in my past. I really am not interested in your past. If God can take Ishmael out of a mess and transport Joseph up there to get his de- in a position to show favor to his father and an entire generation of people, he can do it for you too. Your problem is not too big for the Lord. Your dilemma that even you created or didn't create or somebody else created it, God's bigger than that dilemma. And you have to know collectively what's happening in this country. We've got election day coming up on Tuesday. I'm not telling you who to vote for, but if you're eligible to vote, you need to vote. Amen? You need to vote. 
Vote your conscience, vote what's inside of your heart, what lines up with what you believe. That's who you vote. You don't vote against people, you vote for something. Right? Because if those people that you vote for get their agenda across, will your life be what you want it to be? Or do you gonna have to go protest somebody else? Joseph never protested his brothers when they came in. He embraced them because a character was built inside of him that put him in a position where he could, his character could handle his success. Every down and out moment you've had, every drop off moment you've had, everything that's put you down your back for whatever reason, it was a time of reflection, a time you can't explain, a time you wouldn't want to go do again. You wouldn't want to experience it all again and for no reason, no way. But you're thankful that God's building something inside of you that you can sustain in a position and a point of reference of success. And that's where God's taking the body of Christ. Can he, hit, can he trust you with the power? Can he trust you with wisdom? Can he trust you with knowledge? Can he trust you with stuff? Can he trust you? I think he can. The question is gonna be, can you trust him when things aren't working the way you thought they should work? Would you stand with me? Joseph was in a good place. It was a tough place, but it was a good place. Everybody that I've ever talked to that's gone through stuff in their life, I'm talking about life-altering stuff, they all say the same things. We say it around here all the time. I wouldn't want to go through that again, but I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. The question is, can you and are you in a position right now, if God blesses you and he's going to, in a, possession, in, a, in a position of just favor is abundant on your life. Can you trust yourself as you trust him with a favor? If God puts healing in your hands, will you actually pray for people? I believe you will. He's maturing his body. Would you bow your hands and close your eyes with no one looking around real quick? No one's looking, I'm just gonna ask you a question. Is there anybody in here that's not saved? You wanna get saved today? What I mean by that is trade the old life for his new, wipe away all your old stuff for something brand new. I'm gonna count to three. Just raise your hand if that's you. One, two, three. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody over here to my right, your left? Anybody? I'm gonna do something a little old fashioned today that I haven't done in a long time. Those of you that raised your hand, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to step out of your seat up here and meet somebody and have pray with you. Young lady, that you just raised raise your hand. Would you just come up here? I need somebody up here, a lady that would pray with her, if you don't mind. Thanks, Kathy. The rest of you can look at me. We're gonna pray for her. Is there anybody else ready for walk, to walk in? How many in here know that you are favored of the Lord? And how many of you know, just because you've had some hard times in your life and had some setbacks, that, that doesn't define your favor. It only, it only brings out your favor. It establishes a, a, a character, a capacity for when things are good again, you don't have to repeat the same mistakes you've already made. Does that make sense? Can God trust you with abundance, abundance of life? I think he can. I think he will. 
And I think he is. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here today. And I thank you, God, for the story of Joseph. The story, Lord, that doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but it really surely makes sense to Joseph. He wouldn't trade that experience for anything in this world. God, he saw you for who you really are. Not only your actions, but he knows your ways. He knows your thoughts. And you put him in a place where that dream at 17 years old came to pass as an adult, but he had to go through a journey to get there. Every dream, God, that has been spoken to the hearts and lives of your people that are here today, that are watching the way of internet, those dreams that are still inside of them that they've never seen come to pass. I'm asking, Lord, by the power of the name of Jesus, that you will see those things come to pass in their life. Let this be the season, let this be the moment, let this be the time that the fruition of all those dreams, the culmination of all those dreams be realized on an everyday basis in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you all Wednesday night.